Welcome to His Church Owensboro Podcast. We are so excited about what God is doing in your life, and we would love to hear from you. Visit us at hischurch.cc and let us know about all of the things that God is doing in your life. If you have been blessed by this podcast and would consider supporting us financially, please visit hischurch.cc and click on Give to see the many options available. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message blesses you. Dumas, we love you guys. Different location, why don't you turn to your neighbor right now tell them you look like you've lost 20 pounds. Just tell them, yeah, they look like they've lost 20 pounds. And uh, I wore black this morning because I fell off my diet wagon just for a few days. So the black helps, amen? And I, I'm pumped to, to be with you to get to teach today. As a matter of fact, I'm starting a new series today on one of my favorite topics and one of my favorite people in all of the Bible. We're going to talk about King David. Now, I think whenever you talk about King David, you can look at his life and look at how multifaceted David's life was, one of the most incredible men that ever lived. As a matter of fact, David is so incredible. There's, uh, of all the, the, the people that are written about in biblical literature, right, the, the inspired word of God. David is the second most written about personality in all of history, right behind Jesus Christ of Nazareth. How many of you think that we ought to study and look at somebody that's got that much Bible written about them? Can I get an amen out there? So, so David, I think you look at David's life, you can see David as a shepherd. You can see David as a son. You can see David as a psalmist. Right, wrote the 23rd Psalm. You can see David as a soldier. He's not just a king, but he's also a warrior. You can see David as a sage. He has a prophetic side. And then you can see David as the sovereign king of Israel. And Jesus is who we're trying to be like. Come on, Jesus is our Messiah. How many of y'all want to walk more like Jesus, talk more like Jesus, be more like Jesus? I, I, could, I could use to be more like Jesus. So I read Jesus' life and I look at him and he's my model. But a lot of times I identify, how many of y'all would agree with me on this? You identify with some of David's struggles when you read his story. Can I get an amen out there? How many of y'all are real people? And so we're going to look at, at David over the next few weeks, and I believe God's going to lift us. God's going to help us. God's going to do something supernatural in our life. All right, if you have your Bible on you this morning, open it up to the book of Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And I'll show you kind of the summation of David's life here by the Spirit of God, which is incredible. Acts chapter 13, verse 22. And it says this, And when he had removed him, He's talking about Saul. When he had removed him, that was the first king of the nation of Israel. When he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king. To whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. David the son of Jesse. Today we're going to talk about David the son. And I can't introduce you to David until I introduce you to King Saul. So the, the nation of Israel, they lived in the midst of a bunch of pagan peoples, and they had no king. And when you're thinking about this time period in Israel, you really can't call Israel a kingdom or a nation. Because what it really was at this time was just a ragtag group of tribes, right? The sons of Israel, the 12 tribes, they're all living in this region. They're not organized. They're not together. They're out there living a semi-Bedouin, nomadic-type life, and they couldn't get things together. And they're looking around at the other nations that are rising up and they're having kings. And so the people of God that are called to have 
have God as their king and not a natural king start looking at the world around them. They start seeing the king that the natural world has and they start wanting what the world has. There's a lesson in this church. How many know we have something better than what the world has? You have something better in your covenant with Jesus than anything the world has to offer. And if you look at the world long enough and start to lust after what they have and want what they have, if you're not careful, you'll end up in their place. This is what happens to the nation of Israel. They look and they say, we want a king. God says, you don't want a king. If you have a king, the king is going to tax you. How many know the two things that are for real and are going to happen? Three things is taxes are going to happen. Can I get an amen out there, right? Death is going to happen. Can I get an amen out there? And Jesus is going to come back. How many of y'all believe Jesus? Those are three things I know that will happen. Taxes, death, and Jesus is coming back. Can I get an amen, church, right? So, so God warns them. You don't want, he's going to tax you. He's going to take your sons. He's going to take your stuff. Still, they want a king. Be careful what you pray for. You just might get it. If you can't find it in the word of God, we ought not want it. Come on, we can ask for anything in the word. We can receive it. If it's not in the word, we ought not ask for it. Can I get an amen, church? Let's, let, let's pray according to the word. So they get Saul. And Saul starts off, and he's uh, humble, kind of scared. He's a good-looking guy. He's a head taller than anybody else in the room. You would pick him out of a lineup. He looks like a leader of movie stars, probably built something like me, real striking young man. And uh, they see him. They say, this guy's got it. And they say, he, he's got to be the king. And whenever they, they're going to anoint him as king and put him as king, he hides in the baggage. But something happens with Saul. The longer he's in this office, the longer he's privileged, the longer he has this position, his heart begins to fill with pride. And Saul becomes a king after the flesh, one that's swollen in his own heart. He gets so swollen in his own heart, the, the nation of Israel is getting ready to go out to war one day. And the only person that can make sacrifice to God in the Old Testament, a king can't make a sacrifice. It's got to be somebody in a priestly role. And he's waiting on the prophet and the priest to come and to make a sacrifice before he can go out to war. And he decides, listen, I'm just as good in my role as this guy that's supposed to make sacrifice. And he breaks the law of God. He burns an offering without waiting for the priest and the prophet. And a prophetic judgment comes on Saul that day. Saul loses his life in battle. Saul becomes demon-possessed, starts trying to knock off and to kill young David, goes absolutely crazy. And then one day, Saul and his son, they down the battlefield, and God's going to replace him later with young David. See, if you look at Saul in the Bible, he's a king after the flesh. You look at David in the Bible, David's a king after the spirit. I'm telling you, if we feed the flesh, the flesh will win. But come on, church, if we feed the spirit, the spirit will win. I believe this, that God's going to take you. He's going to make, take you from being a shepherd, take you from the flesh, and take you all the way to being a king. Come on. If God can lift up young David out of a field, he can lift your life up. If he can take a boy that's passed over, he can take you and lift you higher in life, and you're going to be a person after the spirit instead of a person after the flesh. It's interesting. God looks at David, looks at his life, says, I'm going to replace Saul. And at the end, he says, look, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Isn't that amazing that God would say that about a man? Wouldn't it be nice sometime after your life was over if you could look down and see those words written about you? I found, I found John. I found Debbie. Come on. I found Tim. A man after my own heart. How many of y'all want to be after the heart of God? Come on, let's give God a hand clap. We're going to be after 
his heart. Amen? So how does, how does David's life start? How, how is David the son? What's the genesis of David? You know, a lot of us, a lot of our life is built around who we are young in life. A lot of your identity comes from your family. The identity or the lack of identity you have, a lot of times it'll come from a father role in your life. And if you look at David's life and see kind of the inner workings of his family, you can find some wounds in David that David never gets healed. And it seems like the wounds that are inflicted on us, if we don't allow God to heal them, we will end up inflicting them on others. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to inflict wounds on anybody else. I want God to heal my heart today so I don't repeat the same thing again and again and again. I want you to turn over in your Bibles. I'll show you some of the inner workings of David's family. Let's go to the book of Second Samuel. No, we'll go to 1 Samuel. We're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to start reading in verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 1. Here's what it says. Now, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you the Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said. Went to Bethlehem and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourself and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. God starts talking to the prophet. The prophet is mourning the, the loss of Saul and that Saul is going in the wrong way. He'd spent his life mentoring Saul and he knew that the kingdom's going to be taken from this wicked king's hands. How many know, how many of y'all have had some people that you've tried and tried and tried again to help in life and they just would not be helped? I've learned as a pastor, I can only help people if they want the help. Can I get an amen out there? How many know as a parent, you can, you, I know some people that were terrible at raising kids. And they got some of the best kids in the world. You don't know anybody like that? Like they were terrible, this kid's great. Then I know some parents that were great at raising kids. And their kids are terrible. Right? How many of y'all know that can be true sometimes? It, it, it's boggling. See, the prophet is helping raise Saul. Saul turns out all messed up and he's mourning. And God finally says, listen, you've been mourning long enough. You tried to help. You did everything you could do. Now it's time to let the past be the past at last. Quit being guilty. It's not on you. It's on Saul. And he tells the prophet to get up, arise, and go anoint another king. I'll show you who it is. And he takes the prophet down to a place called Bethlehem. And the prophet shows up there at Bethlehem, right outside, right outside of Jerusalem. I've been there many times. Uh, right now, Bethlehem, it's in the, it's in the Palestinian authority. You go in there, it's Hamas controlled, it's for real now. And the prophet goes down there and they're all freaked out because the prophet shows up in their town. Back then, whenever the prophet showed up in town, it wasn't like you weren't calling everybody saying, oh right, the prophet's coming to town, we're going to get a good word. No, they feared for their life because the prophet might show up and prophesy judgment. They're like, what's going to happen? Plus this is Samuel. If you back it up two chapters, Saul won't kill a pagan king. 
And he, he allows this king to stay alive. And Samuel shows up and finds out that king's still living, that he prophesied that, that, that um, Saul, the king, should kill. And the, the king won't kill him, so the prophet himself kills him. How I many know oh, this is like this is like Tony Soprano meets a prophet, shows up in town. You better watch yourself. Can I get an amen out there? So they're like, did the prophet show up peaceably? And he's like, yeah, peaceably I've come. Then he goes down to, to Jesse's house. And he starts, he starts looking around. He says, we're going to have a feast. We're going to have a sacrifice. And I'm going to anoint the next king of Israel. So let's look back down at our text. Let's look at verse 6. He, he tells Jesse, I want you to bring all your sons. Verse 6, it says this. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, to bring out a good-looking boy, they looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance. Come on, church. But the Lord looks at what? Looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen them. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest. There he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes and good-looking. And he said, the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So David arose and went to Ramah. The prophet's there, and he calls Jesse. He says, bring your sons out, because one of them is going to be the next king of Israel. Can you imagine how, how intense it must have been getting those kids ready for the prophet to come and to make one of your sons the next king. How many of you be having some pretty strong dad talks to those boys, right? It's time for you to, to trim that beard, boy, right now. We're going to trim that beard. I want you to hold your shoulders back, stand up straight. Don't you say anything stupid at that table. The prophet's going to be here. One of y'all is going to be the next president. You're not messing this up, John. You better use your table, table manners or I will tase you in the face. Do you hear me, boy? You go, you're not messing this up for us. We're stepping up. So Jesse's getting them all lined up, getting them all ready. He brings them in. The prophet walks out. It's interesting. Prophets don't know everything all the time. Get that out of your mind. Prophets see through a glass dimly, right? They have an idea of what they're to do, but most of the time they don't know until they get there. Sometimes I'll feel like the Lord wants me to give a word to somebody. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. I just walk towards them, and I believe the word's coming on the way. The word comes in the walking. It's walking by faith. This prophet walks all the way to Bethlehem, knows he's going to anoint a son, doesn't know what son it is. They put all the sons in front of him. He sees the first one. He's big and good looking and tall and kind of got this Saul kind of thing about him. And he's looking at him. He says, surely this has to be the guy. I mean, he looks good. God speaks to him and says, don't look on the outward appearance. How many of that's good news for all of us guys shorter than six foot tall? Can I get an amen out there? Huh? Don't look on the outward appearance. Right? Man focuses on the outside. But God's not looking on your outside. God's not looking at your appearance. God's not looking at your haircut. God's not looking at your clothes. God's not looking at your abs, thank God. God is looking at your heart. He's looking for a heart that will wholly follow him. And he looks around. Yeah, come on, let's give God a hand clap. He's looking at his heart. Sees the first boy, he says, that's not him. 
because I've rejected him. Now, I didn't reject him as a person. He rejected him as king. Right? God accepts us all. But how many know everybody can't be king? Wouldn't life be tough if you had 100,000 kings and, and one person following, right? So he goes to the next guy. It's not him. The next guy. It's not him. The next guy. It's not him. Goes through seven sons. He can't find the one he's to anoint. The prophet stops, turns around to Jesse. And he's, got a, he's got a question that's not just a question. It's a prophetic indictment. Turns around to Jesse and he says, Jesse, are all your sons at the sacrifice? Come on, somebody say all your sons. Are all your sons at the sacrifice? I bet you could have heard a pin drop. Prophet asked that question. He's looking, are all your, he already knew all his sons weren't there. Are all your sons at the sacrifice? And Jesse left one son back on the farm tending the sheep. Why in the world would Jesse not have brought all of his sons when the prophet said, bring all of your sons? See, you didn't mess with the prophet back then. Think about whenever Israel messed with Moses, Korah. Mess with Moses in the Old Testament. What happened? Come on. The earth opened up and it swallowed the people alive. Think about in the Old Testament whenever the kids made fun of Elijah's bald head. What happened? She bears came out of the woods and ate them. Not male bears, she bears. How many know when women start fighting, it gets brutal? Can I get an amen out there, right? She bears. Some people want a healing ministry. Somebody want a, some people want a prophetic ministry. I want a she-bear ministry. You mess with me, she-bears eat you, right? Bears on you in Jesus' mighty name. See, whenever the prophet told you to do something, you did it. But Jesse doesn't do this. Why does he not bring his son out to the sacrifice? Well, there's different theories about that. But, but the, the, the prophet looks at him and says, where is your son? You start to see how David was rejected by his own father. Jesse didn't even believe that David could have what it takes to be anything, much less the king of Israel. Can you imagine being in David's shoes? All the other sons, they go to the sacrifice, and you're left behind. All of the other boys, they, 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 get, you know, they get a new car whenever they turn 16. You're riding a used Honda Spree to school. Can you imagine being in this kind of situation? There's this weirdness in David's family that never, ever, ever gets healed. There's different theories about it. You see, Jesse passes over his own son. But thank God, even though the world might pass you over, or a father might pass you over, or a mother might pass you over, or some friends might pass you over, or a teacher might pass you over, or a coach might pass you over, there is a God in heaven that does not look on the outward appearance. There is a God in heaven that looks at the heart, and he sees the true you and the real you and the anointed you and the called you and the graced you. So the world might reject you, but I got good news for you. God in heaven accepts you. Come on, church, let's give him a hand clap. And he's accepted us even when the world passed us by. Come on, let's really give him a hand clap for his acceptance in Jesus. Come on, somebody, you're accepted in the beloved now. You've been brought near by God. Why would Jesse reject him? Right, David wrote things like this in the psalm. It's really interesting. David wrote this. Talking about God, he said, though my father and my mother forsake me, you'll still be with me. Interesting, interesting psalm. Think, think about this. In, in, in a, a wartime, on the day that David goes out to kill Goliath, his father sends him out with a gift to bring to the army. Cheese, wine, grapes, food for them to eat. 
different things, dates. He's, ta he's taking this cart of food out to the army. And he gets there and his brothers disliked him so much. His brothers see him come and he said, what are you doing here? He said, I've come to bring a gift for the army. The brothers look at him and say, you didn't come here for a gift from the army. You came here because you want to watch a fight. You're here because you want UFC fight pass. We know you and we know you're evil in your heart. You're not a good kid. See, his brothers are rejecting him. His father's rejecting him. There's weirdness in his family. And I'll tell you what, if you follow David's life, David does so many incredible things. David becomes the strongest military leader in the history of Israel. David trains a group of men called his mighties. They, they, were, they were killing machines. David amassed enough wealth. Whenever the temple would be laid up, the resources to build the temple for Solomon would be laid up. David himself gave an offering that scholars say was $1 billion. You imagine that. A billion, how many of y'all would like to give a billion dollar offering someday? Here I am, Lord, send me. Can I get an amen out there, right? Billion dollar offering. David wrote some of the greatest literature, prophetic literature ever been written. How many of y'all enjoy the 23rd Psalm? Think the Lord is my shepherd is all right. So David won in money. David won as a soldier. David won as a military leader. David won as a political figure. David lost as a father. Why did he lose as a father. Turn over your Bibles to Psalm chapter 51. Let's go to Psalm chapter 51. I'll show you a theory that I believe is right. This is a theory, but I believe it's right. Psalm 51 verse 5. says David talking about his origin. David the son, he says this. Behold, I was brought forth in what church? What does it say? I was brought forth. That's pretty small. I was brought forth I can't even see that. Praise the Lord. I was brought forth in what? Iniquity. What's it going and say? Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in what church? In sin. My mother conceived me. So now as New Testament Christians, we all believe we're born into sin. It's a theological doctrine. How many of y'all have some little kids and you know what about one year old? You tell them uh, as soon as they start walking, if they're in the, in the, in the family room, don't touch the remote. Look at a little kid sometime and say, don't touch the remote. Then walk out of the room and watch that kid. Where's that kid going, church? Where's the kid going? Right to the remote. So it doesn't matter how cute they are or sweet they are, they are born into sin. And all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None is righteous, no, not one. Now, I know your grandkids don't sin, but somebody else's grandkids do, right? That's the truth of the matter. They do. So we have a New Testament theology that we're born into sin. The Jewish people at this time had no such idea. And they believed if you were born out of wedlock, obviously you were illegitimate. And they thought you were less than as a person. Now, how many of you know that God doesn't make any accidents and the world might call somebody illegitimate, but they're legitimate in the eyes of God because every child is a word from heaven. Come on, somebody give God a hand clap if you believe. Believe that every life counts, every life matters. Right? But here's, here's, David said this, I was, I was conceived in iniquity, and I was born in sin. What's he saying? He's saying, my other brothers came out of Jesse and their legitimate wives, but I was born out of an affair. David, the Jewish rabbis teach that, that he came out of this adulterous relationship that Jesse had. There are different ideas about it, but one of the main theories that the rabbis have taught for many years is that there was a Polynesian slave that came into the house of Jesse. 
Jesse owned this slave, and, and he had her there, and he favored her over the other wives. Jesse ends up having an affair with this slave, never marries her, and David is born forth from the slave. If you notice, the Bible says that David was ruddy, means red-headed, he was good-looking. Now, 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 the Bible doesn't say that, that there's, no, there's no details that don't matter in the Bible. If it's in there, it's in there for a reason. Why does it say that David was ruddy and good-looking? Because he looked different than the other sons. So those brothers, they knew they knew that David wasn't out of one of the legitimate wives and they always resented him. Jesse knew the fact. That's why he didn't bring the son to the sacrifice because he was embarrassed of his sin. Now I'm telling you this, the world might want you to be shamed because of what's happened in your life or what your past is or what your parents did and all of that. But how many are thankful that even though God knew that and saw that, he passed by everybody else and he poured out his oil on David, the one that the world pass by. He shows and he anoints him. Walks past all the other sons. Says to Jesse, do you have any more sons? Jesse doesn't even want to admit that he has one. And he says, yeah, there's one more. He's a little weird. He's back on the farm with his harp, probably singing songs or something like that. Different than the other boys. And he goes and gets David and, and the prophet says, nobody's going to sit down till that boy's in front of me. And everybody's got to stand there. Nobody can sit down. Nobody can eat because the prophets prophesied. They all stand up and wait until the last boy shows up. And David looks up and sees that prophet. He breaks that horn of oil. And he comes with that anointing. And he pours it out on David's life. And this prophetic journey begins. It's going to create the greatest king in the history of the world other than the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The world passed him by. But God still chose David. Amen. Now listen, David never gets his heart healed over this issue. David's life is one of the greatest lives you'll ever read about. But it's also one of the greatest tragedies you'll ever read. I've been to the place, one of the scariest places in the world for me. It's a place where David stood up after he's a king on a rooftop on one of the highest points outside of Israel, and he looks down on Bathsheba, and he's still messed up and doesn't know what to do with family. David won in war, won in money, won in politics, won in worship, lost in family. David's family gets so messed up. One of his sons rapes his daughter. You know what David does about it? Nothing. Because he won't do anything about it, a brother to the girl that was raped kills her rapist and not just the rapist but more of the other siblings do you know what David did about it to, to change this mess he did nothing and then the, the son runs off for a long period of time David does nothing to fix it then the son's so angry he comes back and he starts burning down David's friend's properties do you know what David does about it he does nothing and at the end of his life, his own son would try to flip the kingdom on David to take David out. His own son set up a tent in the midst of Israel, went after David's life. David has to run like a dog for his life, the king of Israel. And his son sleeps with some of David's women in front of all of Israel. David still can't fix it. See, why do we need to have our hearts healed?
Some of you got some messy upbringings. Now, I'm telling you what, all of us have some messy upbringings. Can I get an amen? Somewhere all of our families were weird. Can I get an amen? Huh? So, listen, that's not an excuse going forward. How many know when you run into a 50-year-old man that's telling you their mama or their daddy wasn't nice to them? It's like, hey, bud, it's time to get healed, grow up, get over it, go forward. Can I get an amen? Come on, somebody give God a hand clap. We can't hang on to that. You can't blame somebody else at the end of your life. But you got to realize the obvious. Realize where you're messed up. Because I'm going to tell you your father, your mother, they might forsake you. But there is a God in heaven. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Israel that set up this kingdom. The God of David and Solomon. This God, even though the world might reject you, I'm telling you, this God will accept you. He'll heal your heart. He'll change the way you think. And he'll fix that orphan wound you got in your life. Then you don't have to make the same mistakes. How many of y'all don't want to make the same mistakes maybe your grandparents made or your parents made? Amen? You can even see... Often, an iniquity that's kind of like in your family. What does iniquity mean? David said, I was brought forth in iniquity, born in sin. What's iniquity mean? People talk about generational curses and, you know, that's fine. But iniquity, a lot of times you pick it up in your family. What's iniquity? Well, the word picture is this, all right? It's where the wind blows. We're in West Texas. Kentucky people, you'll have to... Hang with me for a little bit. Think about uh, wind blows a certain way. How many of y'all have a tree in your yard? There are two trees in Amarillo, Texas. I've seen them both now, right? I'm from the east. I know there's two trees out here in West Texas. But how many know if the wind comes from a certain direction after a while, what does that tree do? It starts to bend. It's got to lean, right? This is what the word iniquity means in the Hebrew. To bend. Those palm trees do it in the east. Right, the wind comes from a certain direction and that palm tree will start to bend a certain way. People have a bend towards sin. Some of it's just, I don't know, maybe it's in the blood, I don't know. There's big arguments. Is it, is it, is it nature, is it nurture, is it DNA, is it learned behavior? For me, it doesn't matter. Because Jesus, come on, he bore our iniquities. Jesus paid for our bend towards sin on the cross. It doesn't matter what that bend is. It might be addiction. It might be hatred. It might be insecurity. It might be selfishness. It might be lust. It might be greed. It might be, it might be a thirst for power, a bend towards sin. Come on, Jesus went to the cross to destroy our iniquities. Isaiah 53 says it. Now that bend doesn't have to own us anymore. We don't have to make the same mistakes that somebody before us made. Come on, we've been bought and brought into a brand new family, the family of God. You are now a child of Most High God. You are a child of the King. Jesse might have rejected you. Your brothers might have rejected you. They might not have brought you down to the sacrifice. You might have a hole in your soul, but I'm going to tell you, God looked at you and said, I love you so much. I'm going to redeem you, change you, fill you, set you on a path to do something for me in life. I choose you. Just like the prophet chose David, I'm here to tell you the God of heaven and earth. He chooses you. And he chose David regardless of how messed up he was chose David regardless of the hole in his heart. Chose David regardless of his lust. God already knew what David would do. He said, I'm still going to use him. I'm still going to love him. I'm still going to lift him. 
How many know God knows exactly what we're going to do from the beginning to the end? But he still has chosen us. Is anybody thankful that he chose us? Come on. Somebody stand up on your feet. Let's give God a hand clap. He chose you. He chose you. Tony, he chose you. Come on, close your eyes right where you are. He chose you. I want that to go right in your heart. Jesse might have rejected you, but God of the heavens and the earth has chosen you. And he's called you. And he's anointing you to be exactly what he's called you to be. Right now, what I want to pray is I want to pray that God would touch and heal and lift our hearts. That we wouldn't, we wouldn't stay in a pattern like David, greatest, greatest guy that ever lived, one of the greatest guys, but never learned family. But now me know if you don't learn family, you're up for a lot of pain. You can't make anybody do anything. Can't make a disgruntled kid come home. Can't fix a spouse that's out. You can't do it. You can't put together a grandkid, but you can do your part and be a person of love. That's on us, right? Everything else is on them. So now we make a decision to allow God to heal our hearts. Come on, lift a hand to heaven right where you are if you're comfortable with it. Father, right now I thank you that you're the God that heals the heart. Right now I'm speaking to those that have this rejection thing, this orphan thing, this thing that's like, though my father and mother forsake me, telling you what, it doesn't matter about your origin. What matters is where you're going in the future. God's more cared about your future than he is your past or where you come from. Right now, I believe that that healing balm of Gilead, let it flow, let it go, let it roll into hearts right now. I declare that the wounds are healed. I declare that healing is released. I declare that a blessing from heaven comes to you. I declare that your bloodline is blessed. Your seed is blessed. Your children are blessed. Your grandkids are blessed. I declare that you're not going to be a person after the flesh like Saul. I declare you're going to be a person of the Spirit like David. And God's going to come and he's going to perfect that which concerns you. I declare it. I declare we got, we got two months right now. I declare there's a grace. There's a window. I see it. There's always grace. It's an age of grace. But I see two months of supernatural grace. I see two months of restoration. Two months of reconciliation for any person that will push in and seek it. The Spirit of God says you want reconciliation. You want restoration. You want things made whole. Push in and make a little bit of effort and I will come and anoint it and you'll see my grace and glory and restoration in your lives and in your families. God's given us a word, now it's up to us to act. Faith without works, they're dead, amen? How many of y'all want to see supernatural restoration in our church, amen? Come on, let's give God a hand clap. The next two months, the next two months, you push in there, God will do something. Come on, come on, do you believe it? You push in there, God will do something. I said you push in there, God will do something. How many of y'all believe you push in there, God will do something? Every campus you push in, I'm telling you, God will do something. God's going to do something in families over the next two months. I believe it with all my heart. Listen, next week we're going to, we're going to keep talking about David. The, the, the stuff we're going to see about David, it's going to be supernatural. It's going to help us. It's going to lift us. I'm seven minutes over. I better stop because I'm creating traffic jams at campuses all over America right now, all right? Hey, I, I love you. God bless you. It's an honor to get to pastor you. I love, I love being with the church. How many are thankful that God's made us a part of his church?